Let's pray together. Lord, we do come into your presence expectantly. We pray that your word would be powerful and effective, that it would cut our hearts and our souls like a surgeon cutting in to remove the disease, cutting in to bring healing. And so, Lord, even where it hurts, even where the word hurts today, make it a process of healing. Make it a process of renewal. Lord, make it a process of resurrection, of new life today. Lord, wake us up. Wake us up physically. Lord, wake us up mentally. Wake us up spiritually. So that we might listen and hear the word that your spirit speaks to us today. As the word is proclaimed, Lord, speak. Give us ears to hear that we might receive from you what you have for us today. Lord, every, every person in this room, every person who's listening online, do your supernatural work to make us hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' name, for your sake we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning. All right, y'all, we are ending nearing the end of Romans 1 through 12, which is the big, the, or 1 through 11, I should say, which is the big theological introduction and content of the book of Romans. And on Easter Sunday, uh, Joel is going to have the privilege of kicking us into chapter 12, which is where the so what section of Romans begins. And I'm excited I've been excited about the theology and all of this goodness, and today there's such a beautiful image of, of, that we're going to explore together, but I'm really looking forward to that so what, you know, where does the rubber meet the road, uh, the therefore at the beginning of chapter 12 is, is, is a really key uh, verse and a really key word as it moves us forward, but we're not there yet, we still have uh, chapter 11 to consider this week and next week, and so as we open God's word together, I want to invite you to grab your Bible or your phone, and open up to Romans chapter 11. We're going to be focusing in on the verses right in the middle of chapter 11, beginning at verse 13 and reading all the way through 24. And before we do that, um, I want to introduce to you an image that is used throughout Scripture. And this image I want you to to visualize, and, I'm, and I've actually got a picture to kind of help you visualize this picture, and it's the image of a tree. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout God's Word, throughout the Scripture, God uses the image of a tree to describe God's people. So that's us. That image, that picture of a tree is us. In fact, our call to worship today from Psalm 1 uses that image, doesn't it? You may remember it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That's, that's the image that God brings to us, that of a tree. And then the prophet Jeremiah says, The Lord has called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. That's God's vision of His people. It's God's vision of humanity that we would be like a tree, that we would be beautiful, 
even those of us that aren't so beautiful, that we would be beautiful and that we would bear good fruit. And that the beauty that God has for us is in that bearing of good fruit. I mean, this whole series we've called Together for Good. Because that's the vision that God has for us in this letter to Romans. That we are together as God's people. Together as one tree. Together for good. For producing good fruit that God will use to bless not only the church, but the whole world. This is the image that God gives us. The image of a tree, of a living people. And so Paul picks up this image, he picks up this illustration, and he applies it to the current situation at the church in Rome. And so that's where we're going to begin reading in verse 13. So we're in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, remember he's talking to the Gentiles, if you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more? Will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is God's word for us today. When I, when I was reading through this whole passage, I hope you picked up on some of it. We're going to, don't worry, we're going to get back into it and kind of break it down, okay? Because it's a little confusing. But he's talking about a tree, and he's talking about a tree that's had some branches removed, and he's talking about a tree that's had some branches, wild branches, grafted in. We're going to talk about grafting, okay? And then he says, and not only that, but then there are, the original branches are being grafted back in. So he's got this image of a tree, and, and it's kind of summarized in verse 15. So I'm going to pull that up. Verse 15 says this, For if their rejection, that is the rejection of Israel, okay, God's... God's original people. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, 
what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so in this passage, we're going to be looking at three uh, processes that God uses to create His people this tree, this beautiful, eclectic tree that he's making. And the, the, the first process is a process of rejection. The second is a process of reconciliation. And the third is a process of resurrection. Rejection, reconciliation, and here, life from the dead, resurrection. First, it begins with discussing this tree as a tree of rejection. Chapter 10 ends with these words. God says, I have held out my hand to a disobedient and a contrary people. God says, I've held out my hand to them. Over and over, I've extended mercy. And at the beginning of chapter 11, Paul is asking this rhetorical question that everyone is asking. So, Paul, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected His people? And He says it in the most emphatic way possible in verse 1, which we didn't read. He says, absolutely not. He says, in no way has God rejected His people. You see, it's quite the contrary. His people rejected Him. Even though God was merciful, even though God was patient, even though God gave them every opportunity and made every promise to them, many, many, many of God's ethnic people Israel, when the Messiah came, when Jesus arrived on the scene, they rejected Him. And what did they reject? They rejected God's grace. They rejected the free gift of life that God was offering to them through Jesus. They rejected it. Because they wanted to build their own righteousness. They wanted to build their own kingdom rather than entering into the free and gracious kingdom of God. When I was reading this, it reminded me of one of the parables that Jesus told in His ministry. You might remember the parable of the banquet. You remember the parable of the banquet? I'm going to read it for us. It's, in, it's found in Luke chapter 14. You can turn there if you want to. Luke chapter 14. And it begins in verse 16. Luke 14 Verse 16. Jesus said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. My, uh, my slides are not working, so if you don't mind back there, lead, you'll have to push us through. We're good? All right, thank you. Sorry about that, guys. Let me start this over. Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I just married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
We're going to push pause right there. You see, the man created this great banquet. He invited everyone to come, and what did they have? Nothing but what? Nothing but excuses, right? Nothing but reasons why they didn't want to come. You see, they were invited, but they rejected the invitation. The people who were invited had better things to do. Jesus is creating this parable to show us how we in our lives, sometimes we look at things such as career and family and our happiness, and these things become at times more important than entering into the kingdom of God, than spending time with the Lord, than even being with His people in fellowship and in worship. We say, we're too busy for you right now, Lord. And we're all guilty of it in some way, aren't we? We all feel how we have rejected and we reject God's invitation to come and be in His presence, to be with Him, to receive Him into our life in deeper and deeper ways. And so I want to show you this image again of the tree and of what happens to the tree. It says that some of the branches were cut off. Some of the branches, because of their rejection, were rejected. This is a tree of rejection. It's a tree of loss. A tree of excuses. A tree that says God is not the most important in my life. I think we need to ask ourselves some hard questions today because the Scripture begs us, God begs us here to ask ourselves the hard questions. Are you too busy for God's banquet? Are you too busy? Am I too busy for God's banquet? You know, we like to say at our church that there's room at the table, right? And there is, there's room at the table, but are you taking a seat? Are you coming into God's presence, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week? Are we in one another's lives? Are we spending time with God through prayer and through reading the Scripture? Are we really growing? Are we really receiving what God has for us in His banquet? Will you sit with Jesus? Will you enjoy His bounty, the feast laid before you? Will you commit yourself to His leadership, His lordship in every area of your life? Jesus invites you to the banquet. He says, take a seat in my kingdom. Take a seat at the banquet. Enjoy what I have for you. And we say, no, I'm, I'm too busy. I've got a relationship I've got to deal with. I've got, I got too many work things. I've you know, I got, I got to deal with my work things. You know, church just doesn't make me happy, so I've got to go, make sure I'm happy, and then maybe if I have time, I'll come back around to the church. And we hand God all of these excuses, and we all do it. We all do it in different ways. And I think the pandemic has made it easier. It has. I mean, the pandemic has made it easier to to say, I don't have time. It's easier to check out today, right? It's easier to check out from everything, relationships, even our family and our friends. It's easy to check out from our horizontal relationships, and it's easy to check out from our vertical relationship. I mean, in the pandemic, we've had more time than ever to spend with God. 
There's been more free time, right? But what have we done? We watch Netflix. What have we done? We've, 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 we've gotten on HBO Max. What have we done? We've, we've, we've wasted so much of our time this year. And I feel it. And when I, read, when I read this passage, all I see in my own heart sometimes is this broken, messed up, mangled tree. That's how it feels, right? Sometimes it feels like this is my spiritual life. The branches are all falling off. I haven't done what I needed to do. And so we feel the weight of that. I hope we feel the weight of that. I hope you feel the weight of that. I hope I feel the weight of that. It's so easy to let our circumstances distance us from God. To let our circumstances distance us from God and His people. And so how does God respond to this situation? How does Jesus continue the parable? Let's go back to Luke 14 and continue the parable in verse 21. And so remember, everyone made excuses, right? That was where we left off. Now in verse 21. So, the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has already been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, All right, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. How did, how did God respond when over years and years of rejection, God's people said, I don't have time for you. I'm done with you. God said, okay, let's invite some other people. There's room at the table. Let's bring in the, the, the crippled and the lame. Let's bring in the blind. Let's bring in the, the people off the streets. Let's bring in the people from the highways and the hedges. God says, so that my house may be filled. So that my house may be filled Jesus opened up space in the church for people, like we talked about last week, who were not even looking for it. People who were just wandering around the street, and God said, come on into my kingdom. And they're like, really? There's food there? You, you got food? Okay, yeah, I'm coming. I got nothing else on my schedule. Right? I'm clearing my schedule. I'm going, but why? Because suddenly it sounds like good news again. Suddenly, it sounds like a place of hope and promise. Because those of us who grew up in the church, those of you that did, like Israel, we get so accustomed to it, and our spirituality is like that lame tree with the branches all broken off. And God says, hey, I want to, I want to invite other people in so that my house will be filled. Verse 15, back in Romans, says this, their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. And so we move from this process, this hard process of rejection, to a tree of reconciliation. A tree of reconciliation. Look with me at verse 17. 
back in Romans, Romans eleven seventeen, where Paul writes and he says, But if some branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. See, God invites people who were far from Him into His kingdom. There was, there, there was, because there was room. Because there was room, He invited in the highways and the hedges into His kingdom. And He invited them into a new relationship. That's what reconciliation means. Reconciliation is not going back to a former relationship. It's a new relationship. It's a distinctive and a definitive change in a relationship. People who were once God's enemies, people who were once strangers to the promises of God are now included. People who once were outsiders are now brought in. This is God's vision for His tree. And I want to show you what happens here. Okay, this is the image. Hopefully this is going to work. This is the image of the, of the, the, the first tree, right? And it's cut off. The branches are cut off because they said, they, we reject you, Jesus. we got too many other things to do. And so God begins to graft in different branches. Look, see, those branches are wild branches. He says they're wild branches, and he brings them in, and he grafts them to his tree, and he continues to graft them, graft them to his tree so that now the tree looks eclectic. Now the tree doesn't look like it used to. It's not all one shape and size and form. It's not all one culture now. See, now God is bringing in people from all nations. He's bringing in the Gentiles, and he's grafting them in. The Gentiles who were uncultivated... <laughs> who were despised in many ways. They were, like, they were basically like nothing more than weeds. Weeds who God plucked up. And God said, let me plant you in something good. And God plucked up those weeds, those wild olive shoots, and he, he grafted them into the root. You might be wondering what grafting is. This is a little diagram that I found that describes what grafting is. It's, it works by slicing a branch that has buds on it and then inserting it into a matching slit in a branch on another tree and then wrapping them in special tape. And then as the nutrients are provided from the, the root, it begins to flow into the branch that is grafted on and it begins to produce growth and life and in some ways most of the time this is done in order to preserve trees that were gonna die and so God brings them in and grafts them to a new a healthy root system and so God God's people the, the ethnic Jews they had largely rejected God they had largely rejected the Messiah and so there was room for grafting and so God began to bring in people from every tribe and tongue. And think about how this worked in the early church as, as the gospel message was going out and being preached. Uh, the missionaries would come into a new community and, and at first they would go to the synagogues. At first they would go into the places where the, the Jewish people worshipped and where they already believed in the root. You know, they already had the background and they would preach the gospel. But what would happen is that some would believe but the majority would not believe. And in fact, they would become hostile. And so we read about some of the early missionaries being killed for their faith 
being stoned by these Jewish unbelievers who didn't receive God's grace, but who instead turned against Jesus and his followers. And do you know who one of those followers was? Who turned against the Gentiles, who turned against and was, was stoning and, 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 and doing evil things against God's, peop- God's new people? Who was it? Paul, right? The, the author of this letter. He himself had rejected the Messiah. He himself had, had killed missionaries and had overseen the killing of missionaries in the early church. And what happened is the word went out and these communities, some received it and some rejected it. The missionaries would turn from the synagogue, which wasn't safe anymore, and they would go out where? Where Jesus said, right? They would go out into the streets. They would go out into the highways and the hedges, and they would preach the gospel there. And they were so surprised that all of these Gentiles, all of these pagans, all of these crazy unbelievers, these wild olive shoots, they actually believed the message And not only did they believe it, they received it with joy. And they said, you're telling me there's a God who made everything? You're telling me that he's not just angry with me, but he actually wants to be reconciled to me? And they came to him in droves. And the church became multicultural, multi-ethnic in its early days, largely because so many of God's people rejected. It made room for more people. It made room for God's people, the Gentiles, to be grafted in. One commentator said, imagine if every synagogue 100% had received Jesus. Imagine if every synagogue had received Jesus 100%, then the message would never have gone out to us. The message would never have gone out if God didn't make room by allowing those who didn't believe to be cut off. Then there wouldn't be room for you and me. Sometimes, sometimes things have to be removed to make room, to make room for others to be brought in. Sometimes things have to be cut off in order to make room at the table for others. How does that apply to us today? Well, I have a couple of practical applications for this. You know, we are made up of a church of mostly Gentiles, right, if not all Gentiles. We're, none of us probably descended from Abraham. But we can fall into the same trap that Israel fell into. Because God is bringing people from many cultures into his house. God is bringing people from all over the place in Orangeburg, out in the streets, in the highways, in the hedges. And for us, it's so easy to get comfortable in what pleases us, in our preferences, in our style, our way of expression, our music our language, and, and, and maybe, not maybe, we do, we need to look for ways that we can die, that we can cut off some of our preferences in order to make room 
for other people. Maybe cut off some of our ideologies. Cut off the, the, the manner in which we hold to our view of education or politics or economics or leadership. That we might need to cut those things off in order to make room for those outside to come in. And those are hard questions we need to ask. Where can I make room in my life personally? And where can we make room in our church so that others might be brought in without having to assimilate and conform to a certain cultural norm, but to be brought in? This is an application of what God is telling us here, that that the tree could really look like that, that we could really see the diversity that God wants to bring in from right here in our community that all people could be reconciled to God? What are the things that we set up as barriers to inclusion? Paul warns us here, do not become arrogant, right? He says it over and over, do not become arrogant. God has not finished cultivating his olive tree. Look with me at verse 23 where the tree of reconciliation becomes a tree of resurrection. Here he's talking about native Israel. Here he's talking about ethnic Jews, and he says, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Oh man, it gets even better, y'all. It gets even better because it was God's design all along to make a way for Abraham's children, the ethnic people of Israel, to be grafted back into their own tree, even after being cut off, to be grafted back in. Because, hey, if we can graft in some weeds, right, we can graft in these original branches too. We can graft them back in as well. Have you heard of the tree of 40 fruits? Anybody? I had never heard of it. This is crazy, okay? I want you to look this up. There's a couple of documentaries about this. The Tree of Forty Fruits uh, is a project, an art project, actually, by a professor, Sam Van Aken, at Syracuse University. And Sam Van Aken was fascinated by the process of grafting that we talked about earlier. He was fascinated that you could take a, a, a branch and graft it onto another tree, and you could actually take... Uh, different types of trees, right, within, uh, different, within a family, I think, of, of uh, family of trees, and you could graft different fruits onto one tree. And so he took hold of this idea, and as an artist, he decided to do something that he called sculpture through grafting. And as he was exploring this idea, he discovered that New York State agricultural experiment station was going out of business. Because of budget cuts, they were going to have to shut down a farm and a nursery that contained over 200 fruit trees. And basically, they were just going to, you know, 
go in there and bulldoze the whole thing in order to make room for something else. And he said, wait a second, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over the lease and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over the lease and basically buy this whole land. And so he did. He must have had to raise money, but he, he, he bought the land or he took over the lease of the land and he began to experiment with all of these different varieties of trees. And he discovered that some of the trees, that this was the only tree in the entire world where that variety of fruit was produced. Right there in that one spot. It was not found anywhere else in the world. And so if they had been bulldozed, that would be the end of that variety forever. It would be death, basically, for this variety of fruit. And so he took 40 different types of fruit-bearing trees, 40, and he grafted them to one tree. And that's the tree, right? That's one of the trees. He's done it like seven times now. And so he's grafted 40 different fruits onto one tree, fruits such as peaches, plums, apricots, nectarines, cherries, almonds, and many different varieties of all of those fruits, all on one tree. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? And so this tree of 40 fruits, when I look at that and I heard that, I thought, you know what? This is a tree of resurrection, right? Because these branches were dead, and now, because of their connection and their grafting to this one tree, have been made alive. What once was dead, what once was cut off, is now made alive. What a beautiful picture of resurrection, and, and at different times during the year, this tree blossoms in pink and crimson and white. And on one day in the harvest, this is the fruit that came off one tree. In one day in the harvest. Such beauty, such variety, all in one tree. God has a message for us today, and it's simply the answer to the first question. Has God abandoned His people? No. No, He has not. In fact, God has made a way for His people who were bundled up in a heap over here through faith to be reconnected to that tree. So that now, (laughs) what God is doing is putting together something even more beautiful than it was in the first place putting together something even more precious, even more beautiful, even more incredible by grafting it together, grafting it together, this remnant chosen by God's grace. God is putting His people back together again. This olive tree, as beautiful as it is, is rooted in a source of life. And brothers and sisters, that source of life is the Lord Jesus Himself. And if you think about it, this tree that was rejected, this tree that was reconciled, this tree that was resurrected, really is a great image for our Lord Jesus Himself because He was rejected. Jesus, our root, was rejected Himself. He was cut off, 
cut off by his people, rejected by even his own family, who thought he was a crazy man and possessed by demons. And yet in his life, he offered it up on the cross where he was cut off, where he was cut off from the living, where he died, and where even the Father turned his face away in judgment upon Christ on the cross. Jesus rejected so that our rejection only makes sense in light of his rejection. And not only was he rejected, but he in his life and in his death made a way for reconciliation. He offered up himself as a sacrifice to God to be the payment for our forgiveness. That God would no longer hold our sins against us. That he would give us grace instead of what we deserved, condemnation. The free gift of eternal life. God made a way to be right, to be right with him through this tree, through this root, Jesus Christ. To be reconciled to God and Not only that, not only was he rejected, not only did he make a way to be reconciled, but he also overcame death itself. That last enemy, death, Jesus, our Savior, our God, overcame. He suffered on the cross. He took on our sin and our shame. And on the third day, he rose again. That's what we celebrate every Sunday, and especially uh, in two weeks at Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the empty tomb. We celebrate a victorious King, a victorious Lord and Savior, who we all are grafted into. We are grafted into Him, and His life is flowing through us. And so if there's goodness in you, it's because of Jesus. If there's life in you, it's because of Jesus. If there's fruitfulness in your life, it's because of Him coursing through your veins. We are God's beautiful, eclectic tree made up of grafted branches, broken off branches, grafted in again. God's beautiful, eclectic olive tree. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for this image of a tree that was rejected and through your careful redemption you have made new life where once there was only death and rejection and Lord I pray today that each person here would know that new life personally and that we would know it together as a body And that we would be able to bear fruit in this community, not just one type of fruit, but many types of fruit. That we would bear fruit in this community for good. That we would truly be together for good. And Lord, help us to make room at the table for others. Help us to see our blind spots. Help us to see the things that we idolize that we need to lay down in order to make room for others. Lord, help us with that. Give us your godly wisdom. So that you, through it all, would be glorified in your beautiful tree. In Jesus' name, amen.